chapter 1. This morning we're studying Mark chapter 1, verse 40, through chapter 2, verse 12. And this morning's message is titled, Full Sinned Faith. Now, among my generation, there is an often used phrase, which I think appropriately captures the heart and the attitude of the individuals that we will encounter in this story in the Gospel of Mark. The phrase is this, send it. Have you heard that phrase? Well, here's what it means. It means any action or activity you do wholeheartedly throwing caution to the wind. Now, here's how it might be used in a sentence in my life. Say Sarah and I are out on the slopes getting ready to snowboard, and we're standing at the top of some blacks. And she says, Matt, we snowboard like once every four years. Are you sure about going down the blacks? No. I'm not sure, but I'm about to send it. I'll see you at the bottom. (laughs) Well, this morning... We are going to witness two stories about men who can be summarized as having full sinned faith. These two stories show us a picture of responding to Jesus with radical abandonment. I've been inspired by these two stories all week. I cannot wait to share with you what I've learned. Run to Jesus... And find healing for your sin-sick soul. Run to Jesus and find healing for your sin-sick soul. Is there anything in your life that slows your sprint towards Jesus? Well, let's now turn our attention to what is undoubtedly the best part of this morning's message. That is the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 1 starting in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone and go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about him and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. 
Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Wow. Well, let's go to the Lord quickly in prayer as we begin our study of God's Word. Lord, just as Paul prayed... In Ephesians chapter 3, I want to pray for us now. Lord, please grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And that we may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first point this morning is to hell with social distancing. Verses 40 to 45. That sounds a bit provocative, doesn't it? I really question whether I should say that or not because I don't really like being intentionally provocative. I'm just trying to make the point of the passage, and I think I'm going to convince you that that's the point of the passage by the time we get to the end of verse 45. What we are going to see in this passage is that Jesus heals this man's dreadful disease forever. You actually get the feeling when you're reading it that he's not just healing this man's disease. He's driving this man's disease out of him forever. And in, and in this display of authority that Jesus showcases for us in Mark chapter 1, he is reversing the curse of sin and simultaneously restoring this man's life. It's remarkable. So in setting the scene for one of the most dramatic stories of all time, Mark says in verse 40 that Jesus, as he was walking through Galilee preaching the gospel, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him. Now, English class teaches us to break down this sentence. It asks us, what is the subject? The subject is a leper. What is the verb? Came. Are there any adverbs describing how the leper came? Mark says he came imploring, kneeling, and saying. Now, why are the verbs and the adverbs relevant in this story? Well, listen, 
Because this man had leprosy, he spent his life avoiding people, not coming into contact with people, especially getting close enough to implore, to kneel, and to speak to people. Lepers during this time, in case you are unfamiliar, lepers during this time were considered to be unclean, which means that they were considered to be unholy and defiled. And because of their unclean status, they lived all of their life social distancing. You remember doing some of that back in 2020, don't you? Imagine living all of your life the way you had to live in 2020. Imagine living all of your life the way that you had to live your life in 2020. But listen, imagine never having the hope that one day the restrictions would lift and that things would one day go back to normal. Well, that was the life of someone who had leprosy in this day. And because a clean person can quickly lose their status by coming into contact with somebody who is unclean, such as somebody with leprosy, the Old Testament book of Leviticus chapter 13 provides clear restrictions and guidelines for somebody who had leprosy. The person was required to wear torn clothes at all times and for their hair to be loosened so that they could be visibly identified as somebody to be avoided at all cost. And listen, if the leprous person saw someone walking towards them on the street, they were required by law to shout out in the direction of the person coming their way, unclean, unclean. So that they would be warned to keep their distance. And listen, if that wasn't enough, leprosy is an infectious disease that attacks and kills the body's cells, which eventually results in the person losing feeling in the infected area of the body. And once feeling is lost in a limb, for example, then the person won't recognize if they touch a hot iron or if their hands are sitting under scalding hot water for 30 seconds or if they shut their fingers on a car door. And over time, this results in people with leprosy losing their fingers, their toes, their nose, their ears. I read this week that one doctor calls the disease a painless hell. A painless hell. Well, this all helps us to understand the guy that we witness coming up to Jesus in this passage. It helps us to understand him. It helps us to understand his world. It helps us to understand his situation. He's living a painless hell. He's alone. He's physically suffering. He's emotionally suffering. But listen, 
he has heard about the divine physician. He has heard that someone is walking the streets and healing the incurable diseases around them. And so we find him in this story with full sin faith running to Jesus. Now remember, this man is not supposed to be getting close enough to anyone who is clean. But he throws all caution to the wind. Because for the first time since he's had this disease, for however long he's had this disease, for the first time he has hope. And finding Jesus, Mark says that he falls at his feet and says to him these words, If you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, if you are able or if you are powerful. No, from the stories that he has heard about Jesus in his short ministry, he knows that Jesus is able. He knows that Jesus is powerful enough. But now he's asking if Jesus will. And listen, friends, this is the point. It's one thing to know that God can do things. It's another thing to know and to believe that God is good. It's one thing to know that he is powerful. It's another thing altogether to believe that he is good. And Jesus' response to this man's question should serve as our answer to the question of God's goodness once and for all. He says in verse 41, moved with pity. Moved with pity. Now, what does this mean? One commentator helpfully describes it like this. He says, Jesus' reaction went beyond pity and sympathy or even empathy. It was not just mind for mind, hand for hand, and heart for heart, but stomach for stomach, blood for blood, gut for gut. Jesus feels his way into the leper's needs. What we are witnessing in this story is the pure, undefiled, and unstained compassion of Jesus moving towards a very sick man. But then Jesus does something Something else in verse 41 that is unthinkable. Mark says this. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. First responders are said to be people who are running into scenes and scenarios when other people are running out. Well, if that's the case, then Jesus is the first, first responder. As others distance themselves from this infected man, Jesus moves closer to him. And for the first time in what probably felt like forever, this bowed man at his, on his face, speaking to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling, saying to him, for the first time in what probably felt like forever, Jesus, he feels another person's touch on his body and as he looks up he stares into the gaze of Jesus's eyes who are full of 
piercing purity and lavishing love. And he listens intently as Jesus says these words, I will be clean. Mark tells us in verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Dane Ortland makes this observation in his book, Gentle and, and Lowly. It was the first time in history that a clean person had come into contact with somebody unclean and hadn't been made unclean himself, but actually made the unclean person clean. With one word, this man's life is changed forever. But there's something else in the story that we need to discuss, connection that God intends for us to make in our lives this morning. Though leprosy is a real disease, I think the Lord intends this story to also show us the similarity that leprosy has to the effects of sin in a person. Let me attempt to explain this connection. The disease of leprosy ostracized and isolates a person from both community and from corporate worship of God. And as a result of the restrictions the diseased person had to live with, they were kept at a distance. In much the same way, shame is a sort of leprosy of the soul that plagues so many people in our day. And I wonder, friend, does this describe you? If so, how did you get to this point? What went wrong? Well, I'll tell you. When we, when we sin, we feel something called conviction. And conviction is a good thing. But if it is ignored, then shame begins to set in. And shame does not sit in our hearts silently or passively. Shame is loud. It's a loud voice in our hearts. Shame says things like this to us. You can't confess your sins to someone else because they won't understand. It says things like this. You can't communicate your weaknesses or your temptations to people because they look up to you and you're going to let them down. If we find ourselves here, what are we to do? Here's what we do. We press through the crowds like this man did, and we fall at the feet of Jesus. We don't make excuses for our sins, and we don't listen to the voice of shame in our lives. We sprint to Jesus, and we pray in faith and say at once, Jesus, I know that you will help and that you will heal me. Friends, is shame something that is slowing your sprint towards Jesus? If it is, my hope is that by looking at Jesus and his interaction with this man, your shame will be silenced. For if he dealt this kindly to this man, won't he be just as kind to us today? Well, Mark goes on to tell us in verses 43 to 45, how Jesus sternly charged this man not to speak what had happened, but to follow the law 
and to go to the priest and make sacrifice for his cleansing. Jesus wants this man to obey him, but instead he disregards the instruction. And as a result, Mark says in verse 45 that the crowds grew and Jesus was no longer uh, able to openly enter a town and had to retreat back to the desolate places for a few days until things calmed calm back down. Friends, while it might seem natural and commendable that this man spoke to everyone around him concerning the miracle that Jesus had just performed and done for him, Mark intends for us to be a bit grieved by this man's disobedience. And it should serve as a warning to us to heed and to obey the words of Jesus, even if they don't make sense to us at the time. Well, at least to our second point this morning, not what you expect, but exactly what you need. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Not what you expect, but exactly what you need. In this next story, Mark, the masterful storyteller, sets the scene, sets the scene in verse 1 when he says that Jesus returns to Capernaum and is at home, which is likely a reference to Peter's house. They have made their way back into Capernaum and they are back once again in Peter's house. And before long, the town discovers that Jesus is back and the crowd begins to build, so much so that Mark says in verse 2 that there was no room, not even at the door. And as we've seen so far in Mark, Jesus' pattern is to preach to the crowds. That all of this is setting the stage for Jesus to do something miraculous in this story. So picture this. Picture this scene in your mind. During the middle of Jesus' message, four men come close to the house that Jesus is in, and they are trying to make their way through the crowds in order to get into contact, get into close enough proximity to get, to get the attention of Jesus. And they come carrying, these four men, a stretcher, carrying a paralytic man, a man who is unable to walk for himself. Here, his friends, these four men, have come bringing him because they too, like the leper, have heard the stories about Jesus. And they have faith. So they come to this area, and we don't know how far they have traveled, but we do know that they have determination in their eyes and desperation in their hearts. Yet, despite their best efforts to press through the crowds, they cannot get people to move out of the way to get into the area where Jesus is at. So they regroup. Right in the middle of this scene, they regroup, and they come up with a new plan of attack. They happen to recognize that where Jesus is standing inside of Peter's home, there is an area just above him in the roof 
that if they can just puncture a hole in that roof, they can lower their friend down and get him into close enough proximity to Jesus that they could get his attention. They could get him close enough to Jesus and they, they trust that, that Jesus will do the rest. It's going to be disruptive, but they don't care. They've thrown all caution to the wind. They have full sinned faith. They count the cost, they lower their friend down from the ceiling so that he's near Jesus. And at last, the moment has finally come. The suspenseful moment, the planning moment, the moment that may have taken weeks to come up with, days, hours, weeks, who knows, however long it had been since they first heard the news that Jesus was healing people, the moment has finally come. Can you imagine the jitters in this man's heart? Can you imagine the butterflies that are beating their wings in the heart of this man? Now he's here. The moment at last he's here. He's lowered from the ceiling, disruptive, distracted, lowered through the ceiling, at the very location of the Son of God, what will Jesus do? Mark records these words in verse 5. Now, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Is that what you expected Jesus to say? Be honest. Is that what you expected Jesus to say? I wonder, what did this man's face look like after hearing Jesus' words? Was he surprised? Was he disappointed? Did he look confused? Maybe a more important question to ask this morning is this. What look would you have had on your face? If you had ventured to see Jesus risking your life and your reputation to meet him, but instead of healing you, he says to you, your sins are forgiven. What look would you have had on your face? I don't know how I'd feel, but let me tell you how I'd hope that I would feel. I hope that my face would have had the same surprised and satisfying look that someone who had just received a phone call from the lottery saying, Sir, when we called you earlier and said that you had won $1,000, we were mistaken. You've actually won $100 billion. Listen, as good as hearing stand up and walk would have sounded, your sins are forgiven is infinitely greater to hear. As hard as being a paralytic would have been, being an unforgiven sinner is infinitely worse. The reason is because a disabled Christian will run into eternity 
when an unforgiven man will walk into hell. Friend, what look would you have had on your face? Well, while, while we don't know the look that this man had on his face, we can guess and appropriately speculate the scowling look on the faces of the scribes. As Mark says in verse, verses 6 to 7, that they were questioning in their hearts, saying, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they haven't said these things out loud. Each of them are thinking these thoughts in their hearts. And because Jesus is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing, he is able to perceive Look directly into the hearts and into the minds of everyone all at once. Mark says in verse 8, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. Now what's terribly disappointing in this story is the contrast between the faith of the paralytic and the faithlessness of the scribes. The very individuals who are skilled and knowledgeable in God's word. Upon hearing Jesus' words to the paralytic, they should have responded by placing their faith in the Son of God who alone has the authority to forgive sins. They said it themselves. Who but God is able to forgive sins. They are able to say it without discerning that God is standing in their midst. They should have responded to Jesus, placing their faith in the Son of God who was standing right before them, the Messiah, the, the Christ. But instead they hardened their hearts and they, they distanced themselves. From Jesus. All the while, these four men and the paralytic have full sinned faith, throwing caution to the wind and casting themselves wholeheartedly onto Christ. The kind of faith that these men have glorifies God. Friend, do you live? with this kind of faith in your daily life? Do you live with this kind of faith in your daily life? One thing that is inescapable about this text is the pleasure that Jesus feels when his people walk in faith. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, verse 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So to once again authenticate his unique identity as the Son of God, 
the only one able to forgive sins, he says to this man, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And Mark records that immediately this man rose to his feet, picked up his bed, and walked out of their midst. This was a double healing right before their eyes. The man had a spiritual healing and a physical healing. And as we take a step back and observe this story, we'll find that there are three types of people in this story. The hearer, the doubter, and the doer. The hearers are those who are in attendance, the crowd, the great people who are gathering around the front door of Peter's house. They are listening to Jesus' words. We might call these people fans of Jesus. They follow Jesus around because of the stories that they've heard about him, that he does really cool things like heal people. Then there are doubters in this group. Those are the scribes. They've been watching Jesus' ministry close, listening to Jesus' messages, and they've even been witnessing his miracles. And they don't doubt due to a lack of evidence, but because of a lack of faith. Beloved, it's always a lack of faith, not a lack of evidence. All the evidence is before them, but they refuse to submit to it. And then there are the doers. The doers of the word, they too have heard of Jesus, his compassion towards sinners, and his unique authority as the Son of God, and they believe him. They've heard the same things that the fans and that the doubters have heard, but the only difference is is they believe it. They believe him. Hope arises in their hearts. To them, Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to them. These people are weak, aware of their sin, broken-bodied, and poor in spirit. Yet they believe with all of their heart that Jesus loves them and wants to forgive them and heal them and help them and hold them and welcome them and receive them. So they run to him with radical abandonment. They throw caution to the wren. They risk it all just to get into contact with Jesus. Friend, I have to ask you, which one of these are you? Which one of these three are you? Are you the hearer, the fan, appreciating the things that Jesus does, following him for the benefits of what it's like to be a part of the church, be a part of the people of God, but keeping far enough distance not to submit your life wholly to him? Are you like the doubter? Who, who sees every reason to believe him. All the evidence is before you. All the facts, the realization that Jesus is who he says that he is. That there's no reason not to believe it, but you find yourself not believing it. Or are you the doer? The one who says, 
I've seen enough. Just get me close to him. I'm running with full radical abandonment that I might get go- Who cares what these people think about me? I just got to be close to Jesus. If I can get into contact with him, everything else will make sense. Which one of them are you? Well, this morning, God has given us an opportunity to respond to his word. In both of these stories, we witness people run to Jesus and find healing for their sin-sick souls. Yet at the same time, there can be things in our lives that slow our sprint towards Jesus, can't there? Sin can drive us into shame and hinder our fellowship with God and his people. Fandom can get us near enough to Jesus that it checks the boxes of cultural Christianity. Doubting can harden our hearts to the overwhelming evidence of the truthfulness of Christ. And none of these please Jesus. What pleases Jesus is full sin faith. So friend, will you send it? Let's close out our time by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. He is the most beautiful person who has ever walked the face of this earth. More compassion in one of his fingers than we have as a collective whole. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him. Jesus, thank you for receiving us. Where we doubt, where we lack faith, where we are skeptical, please give us the grace to believe. We cannot have faith apart from the gift of your grace. In Jesus' name.